Uh, okay, welcome back. Uh, we are at the seventh chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We got some new people today. Love seeing all the new faces in the room. This is this is great. But you're you're joining us in process. We are looking at a series called uh, Truth for Life uh, or Confessing Our Faith. And so the idea here is that our theology really matters, and and we are a church that believes in a confession. A confession that summarizes the Bible. And so when we look at our confession, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith, we see that there are 33 chapters that give us clear teaching on what the Bible teaches about various topics. Uh, And so there's a logic to this confession. So those of you who have missed out on some classes, I'm going to give you a brief rundown. So what would you think that, if you're going to talk about the very first thing that confession is going to tell us the Bible speaks about, what do you think the confession is going to say? First, anybody got any ideas? Most important topic. Yes. Very good guess. Some confessions start with God, but this one starts not with God, interestingly enough. A lot of the Reformed confessions do start with God first. This one starts with, how do you know anything at all? And it starts out with, just how do you know about God? Right, So if we're going to learn about God, we have to know there's a, a reliable source to know about God. And so what would that source be? The Bible. The Bible. Yeah, so we start out with chapter 1 talking about the Bible. How do we know truth at all? And then 2, what's the supreme object of the, tr- of the truth revealed? Uh, Gerhardus Voss once said that the whole Bible is, is a history of revelation. Uh, and so it's, it's God revealing himself to us, who he is, and what he requires of us. So number two, chapter two of the confession. So chapter one, scripture. Chapter two is God, the, the, the Lord, our God, who is Trinity. Number three, what about this God? Well, this God has, has a plan. So we need to know that the God, the God that we worship has a plan, and that's called his eternal decrees or his counsel. So within the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is a, there is a plan and a, a plan of salvation and a plan for all of history to glorify God. So that's what the third chapter is about. So then we're going to move into the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chapter. So fourth and fifth, or how does God execute that plan? So if you have a plan, you know, a plan, you know, you have to execute it, right? So, so how is God going to execute it? Well, the first thing is chapter four. He's going to do what? To you got you got nothing but God in the universe, right? So what's God need to do? He needs to start making things. So chapter four is about creation. What about chapter 5? Does he just make things and let it just run its course? Uh, no. Well, we see the fifth chapter is called providence. Or how does God sustain and govern all things throughout all of history? So God not only has a plan, he creates in order to enact that plan, and then he sustains and makes sure that plan goes exactly as he, as he hopes and his plan. And then the sixth is that part of that plan, chapter 6, part of that plan includes sin. Part of that plan includes the fall. Part of it uh, includes punishment and judgment on that fall and sin. And that's, that's, where, that's where we start talking about what's the Bible say about that. And then seventhly is that God has uh, a plan to bring about salvation by condescension to us. And that's through the means of a covenant. So we read last week about this covenant. And we're going to clean up the last part of that chapter today. Everybody on board? Make sense? You see the flow? He's enacting his plan to bring about salvation for his people. 
through the means of a covenant. So would it be accurate to say it's not just that he has a plan, the covenant is he tells us his plan in advance. Mm-hmm. He tells us exactly what he's going to do. He yeah. tells us what, what he is obligating himself to do for you. And he wants, to, wants you to know that he's faithful, and so his word, his covenant, his promise is going to be, it's as good as if it's done. Uh, you know, Paul believed this, the Apostle Paul believed this so strongly that in Romans 8, 30, he says that you are glorified, past tense. Like, how can something that's future be called past tense? Like, you know, you, you, you know it's like, you guys that are younger, how can, it, how can it be said that you've graduated already? You've graduated. Like, when you haven't graduated, right? But you, 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 you're, you know, you're maybe not even through high school yet. And how can you say you're graduated, right? Uh, or if you're in college, how can you say you're graduated? Well, what he's saying by you're glorified, he's saying you're graduated. On the basis of what? On the basis of his covenant, on his promises. It's good as done because God's eternal. He does not experience time the way... Uh, we experience it. So in God's eyes, it's already done. Uh, it's as if it's already done because he, is, he has an eternal plan, as chapter 3 talked about. 4, he created all things. 5, he's sustaining all things. 6, he includes sin in that plan. And then 7, his covenant is revealing his plan to save us, right? So that's the point. Okay, covenant of grace. Uh, what is it? Well, uh, we're going to read the, uh, on the chapter or page 1 of our handout. The fifth section today, we've already read sections uh, one through four. Too much to really recap, uh, but uh, if you have questions afterwards, I'll talk about it. But fifth, fifth point on page one is this. It says, this covenant was administered or differently administered in the time of the law. So when you, when you talk about things being differently administered in the time of the law, think of this. When, if you're a kid with, with parents, think about when dad's home without mom. Things run differently. Or when mom's home without dad. Or when both parents are there. Things are different. Things are, there's a different administration, depending on who's, who's running the thing. You know, like, what about when just the kids are home? You know, it's like that's a different administration there too. So he, what he's saying here is this, the covenant was administered differently in the time of the law, right? So there's a time of the law in history, and there's a time of the gospel. That's the second point here. It says that this covenant was administered differently in the time of the law and the time of the gospel. So there's two main points of history. There's a prior to the gospel, which is time of the law, and there's a time of the gospel, which is present until the future, into the future. So it says in the second uh, section there of section five, under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision the Paschal or Passover lamb and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews. Okay, now, and it says it's all, those are all, all those things we just listed are for signifying Christ to come. You know, you think about this, uh, this cell phone right here that I'm holding. Uh, it was... Uh, you know, I had a, an iPhone 3. You know, it was the first one I ever got. It was a, a 3. This is, a, I, I don't know, at 13? No, it's like 10, 10 iterations down the line. Uh, and so, like, it, it's this, it's, both are iPhones, but one of them is substantially newer. Uh, but they're both the same, right? And they have, uh, uh, you know, the, the, first, the, the first, the time of the law is this, 
this covenant. In the time of the law, it's administered differently, right? It looks a little bit different, uh, but it's the same. So that's what he's saying here. That it's a, it's a lo- looks a little bit different, but it's the same. Okay, so uh, it says uh, it foresignifies Christ to come. So it was all that stuff in the Old Testament, like those sacrifices and the circumcision and the prophecies. Were those speaking about some different plan other than Christ, or was it speaking about Christ? It's speaking about Christ. If you go to the, to the temple or the tabernacle and uh, offer up a sacrifice, uh, if you keep the Passover and circumcise your children, you are preaching Christ. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Peter, uh, one of the Peter's epistles, where it says that Noah preached Christ. How did Noah preach Christ? He didn't even know Christ, right? He didn't even see him. Well, what he was talking about was about Christ. You know, what he was talking about. God's promises are about Christ. Okay, so that's the thing. That's the, how do you understand the whole Bible? Well, the whole Bible is divided into the time of the law, time of the gospel. It's all talking about Christ, the point of Jesus. All right, so third line here, end of the line, it says, these things are all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. Don't you know that the Bible is very much weighted toward the Old Testament? We have much more space in the Old Testament than the New. Uh, If you look at it right here, this is roughly the breakdown. Let's start right here. So there it is. New Testament right there. If you take out all the notes I have in it, this is this is the Old Testament here. This is the New. A lot more pages in the Old, right? A lot more history. There's the Law, the Prophets, and the Wisdom Writings, the Psalms, all those books. But it says they all speak of Christ. They all speak of Him. And they were sufficient to build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah uh, by whom they had the full remission of sins. So it says those guys who were looking to God and His promises and trusted Him uh, had full remission of sins on the basis of Christ. Can someone name someone who never uh, saw Christ, right? Because he, he, he was born, lived, and died before Christ, but he had faith in Christ. Can you name somebody? David. David. David would be a great example, right? He said many things that evidence his faith in Christ without knowing Christ, not seeing him, and knowing even his name, Jesus, right? Isaiah. Isaiah. Can come someone else? Come on. Adele, you're killing it. Okay, kill it. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're thinking through it. Thinking through the, the, the timeline. Others. Abraham. Abraham, absolutely. We pose the question one more time for the kiddos. Who? Pose the question one more time for the kiddos. Somebody in the Old Testament who had faith in Jesus. Well before meeting Jesus. Yeah. Jesus didn't didn't exactly wasn't exactly born until the first century. Moses, absolutely. Moses, absolutely. Anybody who's trusting God before Christ is trusting in Christ uh, in a sufficient way that they would hope in the Messiah to come. What about Mary? <laughs> she didn't even... She, she, Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Trusted God's promise. She had faith in Jesus before he was conceived in her, and then while she was carrying him to be born, she had faith in the Messiah to come. You know, it goes, there's that awkward 
transition point where, oh, the reality is finally here. I, the baby's here. Finally. You know, so, so they're waiting for this baby to come. The, the, the head crushing baby, right? It, all, it goes back to Genesis 3.15. There's going to be a, 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 an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent, bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. What are they talking about there? They're talking about the cross. Genesis 3.15, speaking about the cross and how the, the devil will strike at the Son of God, but the Son of God through his death for the sake of his people's salvation and his resurrection overcomes the, the devil. So there you go. The story is sufficiently told in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the footnotes. It's explaining the story, right? In light of the reality fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so it says, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, anybody else you guys can name. I named Noah. It says at the very end of section 5, I want you to read this. It says, by this Messiah, faith in this promised Messiah, they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. It's called the Old Testament. They had the full salvation and remission of their sins, meaning forgiveness of their sins, eternal salvation. So how, were, how was Abraham saved? His faith is credited to him as righteousness, right? Faith in who? Ultimately, Jesus, right? He was trusting in the revelation he had, which is ultimately pointing to Jesus. And so he had faith just like any of us can have faith in what God has told us and revealed to us about Jesus. And that's called the covenant of grace. And if you believe in the covenant of grace that God's given you, then you are just as glorified as if you will be. You know, you're glorified. You are His. Because you know what? He says you have, you have the full remission of sins and eternal salvation. You are glorified in God's sight. That's who you are. You are new. When you're baptized, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. Your sin is washed away. When you believe His promises, your sin is washed away. That baptism is a seal of God's Word to you. If you believe, this is your eternal salvation in Christ. Full salvation and forgiveness of your sins. So that's the first, that's the first point we're looking at today. An Old Testament guy, a New Testament guy, saved in the exact same way. Believe God. It's carried into righteousness. Anybody got questions? What's glorified mean? Glorified. Right? So glorified would be, I'm resurrected. Okay? It's just as if I'm resurrected. You know, when, when Jesus... Uh, rises from the dead, and Paul's speaking about that in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that death has lost its sting. Right? Death has no sting for me. You think about a, a bumblebee, right? A bumblebee can only sting someone one time, right? And it loses its stinger. It has no more stinging capability, right? I believe that's accurate. I'm not a scientist or anybody, like a zoologist or whatever, but, but, I, but I do believe that's what I've heard is that you can, you, death has stung Christ for those who are chosen, and all those who are chosen will be called, they will be justified, and they will be glorified. That's what the golden chain of salvation states in like Romans. You, body the way Jesus did. you will get a resurrected, glorified body. You will, have, so you will lose the guilt of your sin. You will lose the power of your sin over you. And you will lose, in glorification, when you're glorified, the presence of sin. There will be no more damaging corruption and misery that you will endure 
because of sin any longer. That's what glorified means. So, so in a real sense, you're already there because death has lost its sting because it stung Christ for you, right? So as Christ is resurrected, you're just as resurrected, though you haven't experienced it yet in history. You will experience it. It is good, it's good as gold because God promised it. It's part of the covenant of grace, and he never, never goes back on his word, unlike us. We do, yeah. Something I've heard is like positionally and experientially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Positionally, we are whiter than snow. Yeah. We're totally forgiven, justified, mm-hmm. sanctified. Mm-hmm. You know, but experientially, we're still here on earth, mm-hmm. sinning, but positionally in Christ. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of the same? Oh, absolutely. Christ you know, glorified. positionally, you are justified. Uh, experientially, you're not glorified. You still have the struggle with the flesh. So you have that ex- existential crisis every day. Who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow uh, what my baptism says I am? Or am I going to follow what my old nature tells me I am? You know, so I've got to I've got to say that. So there's two 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 ba- two battles are the battle we fight each day. Of who we're going to serve? Everybody's going to save uh, serve somebody, you know. And so we're going to who we're going to who we're going to choose to serve today? Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a song there's a song about that. So uh, Bob Dylan, okay. <laughs> Sixth point here. I want to read this for you real quick, and I'll answer more questions. But it says this, the sixth point, very end of the page here. And Notice there's all these footnotes with all the verses listing there. Uh, it says, under the gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number, and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and it's called the New Testament. There is not, therefore, two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. So this long paragraph is one simple explanation. It's saying there are not two covenants, but one covenant of grace. There's not one for the Old Testament people, not one for the New Testament people, but one, and its substance is Christ. What is the ground of your salvation? What is the substance? What is the the hope of your salvation? What is the reason that God should forgive you, wash you, glorify you? What's the what's the reason for that? What do you say? Jesus. Jesus. He's the substance. Yeah. It's not because you did anything. It's because Jesus did something. Uh, he did it. When he cries out from the cross, it is finished. What is he finishing? Uh, not just his life, but his work for you. He's finishing. And we might say it's also not because we have the right parents. Yeah, right. Yeah, parents. That's something outside of you uh, that uh, you didn't have any control over, right? Uh, but uh, definitely not. Uh, your parents can't save you. You have to. You have to know Christ. Uh, in him is eternal life. So, and, and the Jews were kind of thinking that. They were thinking, oh, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I'm good, or whatever. Yeah, which, so some of them were, but some of them actually did believe the right thing. You know, they did look at Christ, you know. So, so that's, that's the situation is that, like, Mary, uh, Simeon, Anna, uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, you could go on and on through the New Testament of people who were uh, even, and some of them took longer to come around. Like, Nicodemus took longer to come around. Although he had a lot of great doctrine, he had to, he had to understand how Christ fulfilled this and what the what the real promise was is that salvation is by grace and not by works. Uh, there, that's, and that's confusing because, uh, you know, uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments, how the Ten Commandments start, what's the first point? Anybody know? 
I have failed you as a pastor. If no one can say this. Actually, that is wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Nope, wrong. What's number one? Tell you were on fire earlier. Like you were, Love you were, the Lord your God with all your Nope, wrong. Know? Wrong. You guys are striking out. The answer is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods. But, but, yeah, so, 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 he's, so number one follows the preamble, which is, who am I? I'm the Redeemer. I'm the one who brings you out of slavery, right? I am the, I'm the Savior. So don't think of yourselves as the little saviors here doing the right things and making yourself right. No, no, no. I gave you my grace to bring you and make you my people. I'm the Holy God. You're going to be my Holy people. But don't get the order backwards and think that your covenant obedience is what's going to justify you. Because what's justified you is my grace. I chose you. You didn't choose me. You didn't serve me. I'm serving you. That's a situation. That, and so don't ever forget the first thing in the Ten Commandments is who God is. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. The first commandment is, you shall have no gods. That's a confusing question. I'm sorry to, 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 to shock you guys. With, with, but I, I did it for effect to make you think, oh, what is it? So, but okay, so the first thing in the Ten Commandments is who God is. Okay, now, uh, the, it's this, but the, the situation is like, the, they're, they're differing in, in, in the way they're administered, but it's the same Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, and it's the same Christ in 1447 B.C. as it is in 2022 uh, A.D. Uh, the same Christ, the same way of salvation. There's, there's, it says there's less outward glory in this one. All right, what does he mean by, what's they, what do they mean by that? Less outward glory in this. Well, I think it's pretty glorious. But what do you mean, that less outward glory? How is this covenant administered differently that's less glorious? I don't know, but I will. Get, offer a guess. So, like, in the yeah. temple, it's all inlaid with incredible mm-hmm. ornamentation and gold. And, yeah. Uh, hand-carved pomegranates. And uh, that's a bit different than... Mm-hmm. Um, some wine in a shot glass, I, you know. Yeah, it's a little I bit love, different. I love the yeah. communion, don't get me wrong, but yeah. less outward. Yeah, they had a place, like a physical structure that would be majestic, and, and there's light, and there's, and there's actually the, the presence of God, the glory cloud filling this, uh, this space. And it's a, it's a very, and then, and oh, it, it, it's time to move. Well, here comes the glory cloud. Watch, follow the glory cloud, and it'll, it'll, he'll show you where to go. I mean, so you think about that. There, there's an outward glory that is missing in this covenant. It seems to be, right? But the glory is in the fuller revelation of Christ. Now, we had bloody signs in the Old Testament. We had circumcision, cutting away, blood. We had the Passover lamb. Take an animal, chop its head off, and pour the, pour the blood on the altar. Put the blood on the, on the doorframe. Throw the blood I mean, that's, that's nasty, you know, uh, but it's, it's definitely much more visually stimulating, right, to see the blood flow and, and all that. But now that the blood has flown, the blood that was typified in those Old Testament sacrifices in Christ, the reality, we don't need to, to do bloody symbols anymore. And we don't need to have a glory cloud because all the fullness was in Christ who has taken on flesh, Dwelled, in a, dwelled as a true human being, 
and has united himself still, God and man forevermore on the throne. So we're waiting for, we're waiting for a day when Christ will return to this land and, and, and set apart the fullness of creation, the new creation, where there will be no more sin, there will be glory, and there will be God and man dwelling together. And that will be the glory. So the glory is to come now, and, and not, not uh, in its uh, fullness. So the New Testament is not the, not the fullness. So one person described it as, you know, the Old Testament is like a sketch drawing, okay? And then the New Testament is like, you know, a color picture, you know? But it's not the reality, you know. It's like, or maybe it's even HD. You get to see a little more, but it's not the reality. The thing itself. You know? So the New Testament is not the reality. The thing itself is still to come. So both Old and New Testament are both looking to the heavenly reality, which is to come. So that's the way. That's the way the author of Hebrews describes it. So, all right. Thoughts on that? Questions? Anything you're, you're thinking through? You want to talk about? Covenant. Covenant. Has anyone heard that word before? Covenant. Covenant. Yeah, the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. We celebrate. I guess, I guess I have one question for you. Yes, What's sir. What's the main way that people might get this wrong? Mm. Wow. <clears throat> Why would you? How would you get this wrong? Well, I think it'd be natural to think of uh, the, that uh, when you see a change in history, to think, well, it's different. So when you see that the Old Testament guys were were doing Passover and we're doing New Testament sign of uh, Lord's Supper that we're different. There were two different peoples, and that Israel's one thing, and the church is another thing. But that, that and that that leads to a lot of confusion. Does God does God really accept some on the basis of works or not? That's my that's my that's my biggest concern is is thinking that anybody's good enough to be justified based on their works. And so if you start to go down this trail of there's two different ways, and one of them's by works and one's by grace. Well, then you start to understand misunderstand who how is God holy and then accept some as Justified and, and 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 acceptable. Uh, how would that be possible? Yeah, you know, for anybody. So you, you start to lose the holiness of God in such a scheme. Does that make sense? I'm trying. I'm trying to think through it. But that's my that's my biggest concern. Always is the confusion of justification, and sanctification, and that sanctification could be the basis of justification. I've been sneezing all morning too, Adele. That's that's weird, isn't it? You know, it's been it's been hitting me bad. So uh, a lot of people are getting the sneezes in the. Uh, the uh, you know maybe it's allergies. Hopefully, it's just allergies or something. Okay, so all right. So but you see what I'm saying there. The biggest problem with us is that we believe that we can justify ourselves by our works, and so any any teaching that starts to to um, to chip away at that foundation of it's only by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved uh, does destruction to our worldview and our and our worship. Actually, okay, that's my thoughts. I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's that's my. You asked a subjective question. What do I think? How did someone get that wrong? That's what I think, and that that would be devastating if we get this wrong. Covenant is everything, guys. You can't understand the Bible <laughs> rightly unless you understand covenant is the structure. Covenant is the big theme, and it is ministered differently throughout history, but it's the same. And that's the that's the way God doesn't change, and you know that God's gonna. You're as good as gold with God because He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. His promises don't change. Okay, any, any questions or thoughts? We're about to wrap it up. Fastest 30 minutes in history. Go ahead. Like I... Oh, you might, you thought you might, you had something to say. Well, I mean, I was thinking, you know, when you talk about covenant and 
learning more about the covenant theology and understanding the difference in dispensationalism that we were brought up, uh -huh. you know, studying, thinking that was it, where, you know, the Old Testament was the law and we're under grace. Mm -hmm. And it's refreshing knowing that the entire scripture mm -hmm. is grace and the Old Testament is as relevant, yeah. you know, as new. Absolutely. And so that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. What? When yeah. We were talking about grace. Yeah. And that, you know, the covenant of grace is just that it is the entire scriptures and yeah. we know our sin through the law. It's absurd to think that the Old Testament's law. You know, it's grace. It's absolute grace. Now, now, and that, just an example of that to show how absurd it is to think that that uh, it's by law is that when in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist lays eyes on Jesus and says, "Behold, the Lamb of God," as if to say the whole thing has been pointed to this. And, and in uh, Genesis twenty two, uh, Isaac looks at Abraham and says, "Where's the Lamb?" And, and, and Abraham says, well, God will provide the lamb. The lamb has been promised, and the lamb has been delivered. Uh, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. So, so when we do this Lord's Supper that we're going to do in about an hour or so, uh, we are seeing God's seal upon our salvation, that the lamb was Christ, whose body and blood fulfilled that type, and, and there's a reality of it. Uh, and so, yeah. right shoulder says, we're these lamb. Bam. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Hey, right there. Perfect. God's providence right there. All right, so all right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up today, uh, boys and girls, and we'll, we'll go to worship. Our Heavenly Father, it is good to be uh, in, your, in your presence today as we...